welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, we'll deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hi everyone, Kelly Deutsch here. This is my trusty sidekick Nova behind me. Today I want to share with you some really exciting research that has changed my life. It has to do with the nervous system of people who are highly empathic and intuitive, you know, deep feelers like me and maybe like you or someone that you love. Because it turns out that one in five people are built this way with a highly sensitive nervous system, which results in some really huge differences in the way that we see the world, how we love people, uh, how we handle stress, and even how we practice our spirituality. And for those of you who are empaths or highly sensitive people, I want to share what's happening in your brain when you get a gut feeling or how to use neuroscience to explain to other people why alone time is such a strong biological need for you. It even helps explain why so many contemplatives crave silence. And the video that follows is taken from the Spiritual Off-Roading Program, which is a four-month journey for seekers and mystic misfits. It offers courses in vulnerability, embodiment, divine intimacy, and all sorts of juicy topics all with a tight-knit cohort of kindred spirits that you get to form relationships with. And many off-roaders named this video as the most powerful part of the entire program, so I'm really excited to share it with you. If you're interested in exploring this and other landscapes of your interior life, check out www.spiritualoffroading.com. Registration's open if you'd like to join us. Uh, for anyone who's wandered through this spiritual wilderness, full of wanderlust and longing for community, for depth. You're going to love this. Enjoy the video on neuroscience of the highly sensitive person. Are you someone who's easily moved? Maybe you cry easily at movies or find yourself moved to tears by a beautiful song. Or do you feel other people's feelings really deeply? Maybe have a hard time separating yourself from what they're feeling, what's yours and what's theirs? Are you sometimes overwhelmed by crowds, lots of noise, lots of commotion, clutter? Do you have a rich interior life? If so, there's a pretty good chance that you have a trait that 20% of humans have of high sensitivity. Now, this is a trait that is shared by one in five humans and is different than, you know, just being a sensitive or introverted person. But it has to do with how our nervous systems are built. This makes sense evolutionarily, why we would have one in five of us this way. And they've found a genetic basis for this. Throughout time, it's made sense for human civilization to have 
a kingly or warrior class and a priestly or advisor class. The kings and the warriors are always the ones who are out, you know, pushing the boundaries of what, of what we know, whether out they're out exploring and off on adventures or fighting battles or ruling the kingdom. That was their realm. Whereas they always had some priestly advisory class that shared with them, like, there might be a deeper wisdom here we might want to pay attention to, or don't forget about the poor and the weak. Maybe we should stop and think through this before we just go out on all these grand adventures. So it would make sense that there are about 20% of the human population who have this trait that causes us to reflect a little more deeply, to be a little more sensitive and have these nervous systems that are more deeply attuned to what's coming in through all of our senses. The interesting thing is, it's not only something, a trait found amongst humans, it's also something found among over 100 animal species that they've studied. So this is really fascinating to me. And the reason why I bring this up is because I find the proportion of people who have this trait in the contemplative and the mystical and the spiritual realm to be much higher. I. If I had to guess, I would say the number is closer to one in two people. I've had so many people bring it up in spiritual direction, whether it's, you know, trying to find just um, space. Like, I hunger for space. I need space in my house. I need space at work. I need space in my mind, in my thoughts. Or those of you who have difficulty settling in to a contemplative sit because you've got so much buzzing in your head. There's so much energy and things that you absorb from the outside. This makes it really difficult to find a contemplative practice that works for you when your nervous system, your body and what you've been given is different than the average person, than 80% of the population. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time today sharing with you what this trait of high sensitivity is, how it shows up, as well as how to live with it. What are some strategies? If you have a more finely tuned nervous system, what is that going to mean for you in your self-care and in your spiritual practice and in your day-to-day -day life? So first let's talk a little bit about what this is, this trait of high sensitivity. If you're a highly sensitive person, that means you process stimulus more deeply. So each of us have an optimal stim point, you know, a place where we feel at our best. We feel comfortable, at ease, alert, alive, um, you know, like when we're in flow. That's an optimal stim point. So if we have too much stimulus, too much interior and psychological arousal or biophysical arousal, that's going to mean that we're just overwhelmed, distressed. We might be clumsy, disorganized out of control. You know, we just have this feeling of like, too much. I just need to calm myself down. Um, I might need to hibernate for a little while, go recharge in nature, get something to just soothe myself. On the other hand, if we don't have enough stimulus, we get bored and antsy and, you know, might want to drink a cup of coffee or turn on the radio or call a friend or change up something. I might want to travel. And you can be both a highly sensitive person 
and you can also be someone who has a higher stim point. We could talk more about that later, but um, that just means you have to know your range of optimal stimulus. Some people just have a very um, low threshold for what they can handle because what we do is we take in so much information about the stimulus present. We can be in the same situation as your spouse, your best friend, coworkers, and it can totally wear you out. And for them, maybe it's enlivening and they find it really enjoyable. So going to a busy, loud restaurant with lots of people and noise and music, for some might be perfectly enjoyable and for others is really going to drain you. So the reason that happens is because we all have that max point that we hit where we start to shut down because there's just too much stimulus coming in. And that's called transmarginal inhibition. So we just got too much going on and our whole body is like, whoa, red alert, I'm, I hit my max, I, I'm overwhelmed right now. And the stimulus, interestingly enough, can come from the inside or from the outside. You know, the outside, it's easy enough to think of things that come through our senses. You know, maybe there's a lot of commotion, loud noises going on, um, bright lights, the wind is whipping through, babies are crying. Um, this place that I live in Portland, there are some days where I've had a lawnmower, leaf blower, chainsaw, truck backing up, and crow squawking all at the same time. And I thought I was going to come unglued. It was just so much commotion all at once. Um, but those sensations and that stimulus can also come from the inside, whether it's um, you're feeling hungry or your own emotions, you know, are getting you really worked up and are very um, stimulating or arousing to your system. Um, sometimes the sound of your own voice. If I'm maxed out, overwhelmed, had too much stimulus for the day, not only can I not spend that time speaking or listening to others, but it's hard for me to speak as well. I'm just like, okay. Sometimes if I lower my voice and my pace, I can. But sometimes I'm like, I just, I gotta go tap out. Like I gotta go hibernate for a while. The other thing that stimulates us internally are our worries, our thoughts, our plans, all those things going through our heads. And each of these points of stimulus, whether they come from the inside or from the outside, vary with intensity, complexity, duration, um, the novelty, you know, so if there is a fire alarm that goes off in the middle of the night, you know, maybe it just misfires or something, your, I mean, for anyone, that's going to be very startling, but for HSPs, the acronym for highly sensitive person, for an HSP, we have a lot harder time coming back down to a level point, you know, where our nervous system is like, okay, I'm safe again. I'm, this is okay. That was startling. You know, and same for some of these other things. If there's something that's really intense, um, you might find that people who are really intense talkers, maybe you find them engaging sometimes and other times you find them very exhausting. Or if there's a lot of complex stimulus coming in, you know, there's the TV playing and somebody is talking and there's other people talking over there and you're having a really hard time focusing just because there's so much happening all at the same time. Um, or the duration of things, you know, maybe it's just something low grade and you're not entirely sure why you're feeling so worn out, but it could just be all the 
sights and colors um, coming in all at the same time, or the wind has been howling all day, or your house is just full of clutter and you're just feeling overwhelmed by, by all of that. So all of those things can easily drain us. And the results of all of this, of having um, a more finely tuned nervous system that takes all this in so much more deeply and we notice all the subtleties of things that 80% of the population probably doesn't notice. So the results of all of this is that we tend to wear out faster because we are taking in so much more and processing that stimuli so much more um, finely. You know, we go through with a fine-toothed comb, whereas most people are just take in stimulus in a very different way. We notice all the subtleties and um, because of that also have a much more intense emotional experience. We feel both the positive and the negative much more acutely. So I might have a much more intense sense of joy or of pride or of grief or desire, you know? I think that's something that all of us here feel is that we have such a huge hunger and it feels like sometimes my desire is wide enough that it might swallow the whole universe, you know? It just feel like the divine continues to stretch that capacity and that longing within me. It feels huge, you know? So it's something that, you know, maybe you're the kind of person who watching your grandchild or your child, your heart swells with so much pride that you think it's gonna burst or you lose a parent or a best friend and you think the grief is just going to crack you open and leave you in pieces forever is what it feels like. Or on the other end, sometimes your sensory experiences can be so much more, well, intense, not necessarily in the bad kind, you know, where you're constantly overwhelmed by things, but also in the positive sense. Like, I swear, the blue of the sky is enough to just break my heart open. Or eating Indian curry, like good curry. I have had experiences where curry has literally brought me to tears and I swear I'm about to enter into some sort of ecstatic experience. And I'm only exaggerating maybe a little bit. Like it just, it's so wonderful that it, I feel like my nerve endings are just gonna explode or something. <laughs> like, And I'm sure some of you have had that experience as well, you know, where something is so wonderful when you allow yourself to just surrender to the experience that it's beyond words. These intense feelings can motivate us like nothing else can because we can basically empathize in advance with what's going to happen for another person. You know, so if we are really excited to um, have a reunion with some family members we haven't seen for a long time. You know, maybe there was estrangement, maybe it was COVID and you just weren't be able to visit each other. And the anticipation, like you just feel it so intensely that it like motivates you to do everything you need to do in order to make that happen. Or if you know that there's gonna be something really um, difficult or painful happen, it also motivates you to avoid all of that because you can sense either for yourself or for another person how intense that would feel. So 
we tend to be pretty empathic people. And we also tend to be very conscientious. Um, sometimes it's a perfectionistic streak um, because we're sensitive to other people's emotions and also therefore their disappointment. And so we tend to want to please other people or be a rule follower. And even if sometimes we shift what those rules are, we still you know, want to do what we do super well, which is not necessarily a bad thing, just something to be attentive to because we like our report cards, you know, everything has to have a measuring stick. Like, oh, where am I at here? Because that makes us feel good about ourselves. And again, that really positive emotion of feeling like I'm doing the right thing is much more intense for us. And so that's an even higher motivator for us than, you know, 80% of the population. So for example, for myself growing up, I, uh, I was very intelligent and I was the top of my class. And um, I, I didn't want that though to be something that I lorded over people. I didn't want that to be something that I became so perfectionistic about that it ruled my life. So when I got to college, I remember I decided to just let go of that the best that I could. And so when I got a test back in college, I, everybody around me is like, oh, what'd you get? Oh, you got a B plus? Oh, you got a C? I got an A? Oh, cool. You know, and everybody's comparing grades and things. I would take my test and without looking at it, I would stick it in my, in my bag. Like I wouldn't even look at it. So I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't really want to play this game of comparing because I don't think it has a whole lot of point. But the funny thing about that is, is that that same desire to um, achieve and for perfection kind of leaked out another area. So even though it wasn't present in my academics anymore, I was like, but gosh dang it, I'm gonna be the best loving person you have ever met. And so in ministry and all these different things, I, I really made an effort, um, not only in my prayer life and spiritual life, but also in you know just being really good at listening to people and being present to people and remembering people's names and getting involved in homeless ministry and campus, ministries and all sorts of different things because goodness gracious I was going to be amazing at that <laughs> you know and and that could be something that we do in our spiritual lives as well maybe it's I thought I was going to be a really good Christian by doing all the right things and going to bible studies and believing the right things um but maybe now we really want to be a really awesome contemplative you know, like it, it, it just pops up. And again, it's not like that's all bad, but sometimes we have to hold those things very lightly and recognize that the call is not to perfection, but to wholeness. And the way that we get there is by being perfectly imperfect. We fall on our butts all the way up the mountain. Besides being conscientious, we also tend to be very highly intuitive as highly sensitive persons. And part of the reason for this, they've seen in HSPs and highly sensitive persons, that we have greater activity in our insula in our brain. And the insula is a part of your brain that integrates your interior world and the exterior world. You know, moment to moment, your emotions, your bodily posture, just the situations that are happening. Um, and it's been called the seat of consciousness before which is interesting when you think about that, that we have a lot more happening in the seat of consciousness. So there's a lot more, there's, this is a place where those connections happen. And so that makes us empathic. It makes us um, recognize when something is off and we get those kind of gut feelings or intuitions or whatever you want to call them. That's like, yeah, 
I've got a hunch about this, you know, whether it's like, I'm going to get that promotion or, you know, I think Sally is going to start drinking again. Like, I just don't have a good feeling about this. Or you're in a meeting and somebody kind of cocks their head one way or their eyebrow moves or their shoulder kind of slightly makes an adjustment. And maybe you're not even aware of what the movement or the stimulus was, but you just have these hunches, these senses of things. And that's because of millions, probably trillions of data points that you've absorbed subconsciously or semi-consciously, just being the sponge that you are, you know, and your nervous system taking in so much. And that's why it's so important to trust your intuition, that bodily sense that you have, those hunches, because they are based on millions upon millions of data points that your system has taken in over many years. So trust that. The fact that we process this way means that we can move either quickly or slowly depending on the situation. Especially if we're taking in new information, sometimes it seems like we're moving much more slowly, especially to outside people. Um, I've often said that I have a quick head and a slow heart. You know, if it's if I'm trying to sense what's going on with me interiorly or kind of sense in a heart space what's going on in a situation, I'm taking things in very deeply. And so that often takes me a while to just sit with that. Or, you know, if I'm in a situation where, um, I don't know, someone's giving me an opportunity, like when I was in a corporate job and, you know, they offered me the opportunity to be trained as a coach, but I'd have to sign on, you know, to be employed by them for a certain number of years. And that's something to me, I'm like, okay, this is new information that I need to just sit with. So I've learned to say like, I just need some time, you know? And that's such a great tool for an HSP is like, just give me some time to process that and I'll get back to you instead of, you know, in the moment, sometimes because we're people pleasers, we'll just kind of nod and be like, yeah, that sounds great. And then sometimes later come back and be like, no, that wasn't great. Like I, no, I take that back. So sometimes our processing is slow, but if it's something that we've already processed and internalized, then we can make connections far more quickly than the 80 other 80% 80 of the population because we're able to connect things um, just intuitively in our, in our bodies and our guts. Um, those are things, those um, weaker, quieter signals that happen interiorly that help us to know things, all those data points we talked about. This also means, um, as an HSP, that we need more silence and more solitude and more simplicity just to reach our optimal stim point. You know, it's often, I've talked to many of you where uh, the, a magical afternoon is one in which you are hibernating in your room all by yourself. Like, no disturbances, just you and whatever it is you'd like to do or being walking, being out in nature, hands in the dirt or lying in the grass. That's me, <laughs> like soaking up the sky. Um, I was talking to one person in spiritual direction who said, you know, she went on this retreat at a Benedictine monastery. And she's like, Kelly, I walked into this room and there was a bed and a desk and a window, like no wall hangings, no nothing. Like it was very sparse and it was the most like wonderful thing in the world. I swear I could just move in and stay forever, you know, or another woman who's working on a remodel in her house. She's like, I just, I just need to clear 
the clutter. Like there's just, I need space. I need simplicity in my house, in my life, in my thoughts, in work. I just need some space because that's where our nervous systems function best. And due to all of these things, our deeper processing, our need for silence and solitude and our, op our optimal stem point, we also tend to be highly spiritual. Um, we feel very enriched by meaningful conversations and things that go much deeper because that's where we naturally hang out in our interiors. So having those conversations and connections where we can talk about meaningful things really give us a lot of life. And that's the kind of stimulus that we really enjoy. So we seek practices that help us dwell there, down in the depths, to find the simplicity and the solitude and the silence that helps our nervous systems just feel grounded. So for the last bit here, I'd like to talk about what are some of the strategies that help us thrive with the kind of nervous system that we have? How do we find that groundedness? How do we reset our nervous system when we're feeling so buzzy, you know, with all of that energy and just need to find something that helps us be present? Because it's really hard to just force yourself into feeling safe or grounded or to think yourself there like we can't just keep telling ourselves like okay be grounded be present be held like you know it's like we're trying to force ourselves instead of getting our bodies there first before we try to force our mind there like what your body does your mind follows so a few things that we're going to talk about around strategies and how to live this um, one is getting to know your optimal stim range and how that looks throughout the day. You know, I find I have highest energy um, in the morning and then in the afternoon. So like nine to 12 and two to five, that's my optimal time. I have a really low um, energy point over the lunch hour and over the dinner hour. And knowing that about myself, that's the only time that I offer for client calls because I know I'm not gonna be able to show up and be deeply present if I'm not at my best. So I know when to when to schedule so that I can offer that space to you because that's that's the magic sauce, right? Is that deep sense of presence that we offer to each other. So you learn to listen to your body and to your needs. Do you have high energy? Then maybe the best thing to do is to go for a run or to just dance it off or to call a friend or um watch a webinar or like something that you find stimulating. And if you're too overwhelmed, like you've just had a ton of people time and there's a lot going on, you have to drive through a bunch of traffic on the freeway that just kind of made you a little crazy and feel overwhelmed, then you need to come up with, I call your reset list. Like what are the things that are gonna help your nervous system calm down, get you back into your parasympathetic nervous system that's the one that's the rest and digest tells your whole body like okay now is the time to be calm and to just be attentive to some of these other things happening in your body feeling grounded it's funny um how many of us 
without meaning to, ignore our body's signals. But your body is a sacrament, meaning this is one of the physical ways the divine is present to us, is through our bodies. What else is the incarnation about, if not the divine becoming present through our bodies? It's almost as if we want God to come to us in some more grandiose or holy or enlightened way, rather than through the simple and perhaps scandalous ways of our bodies, our nervous systems, our neurotransmitters, our energy levels, our hormones. <laughs> like All of that is, being, is part of being embodied. So pay attention to what your body needs and what it's telling you throughout the day. If you were to just live intuitively, when would you eat and how much would you eat? When would you stop to just take a five minute breather, you know, in the midst of, you know, your work day, even if it means escaping to the bathroom and just shutting the door, you don't have to go to the bathroom, but you can just shut the door, close your eyes and breathe. Maybe place a hand over your heart and just One way to think about this is to treat your body like you would treat an infant. And this is something that, it's an interesting metaphor, but it almost seems more than that. You see, infants can't really separate internal and external stimulation, you know, like something that's going on inside versus outside and what is them and what belongs to the world. They don't really have a sense of self yet the way that we do. So it feels like the stimulus is all around them and they have no way to protect themselves from it. And an infant, just like our bodies, need the right amount of stimulus. Too much and the baby needs soothing, you know? They start crying and they're just like overwhelmed by all the noise and commotion. But too little and the baby also gets bored and antsy and just agitated, you know? It's like, give it a toy or let it hear your voice. Um, because when they're not, overstimulated or bored or hungry or tired, they're actually pretty content, just like us. You know, if we have what we need, we tend to be pretty content people. But when we're exhausted and when infants are exhausted, we are quite helpless to help ourselves. Uh, it becomes really difficult. Um, we have a hard time using words to verbalize what we need. We just know that we feel overwhelmed and other people don't always understand why. But we just know, like, I just, I'm, this is too much, you know, and sometimes we feel bad because of that. We have to say no to our friends or um, can't provide a, a good excuse to our partner or loved ones. But we just know that we need to take care of ourselves. And that can be difficult if we don't know what those signals are and we're not um, used to listening to those signals in our bodies. And that's what happened to me in Rome. I'm convinced that's a big part of what led to my health collapsing is that I didn't know how to read my body's signals well enough. I knew that I felt overwhelmed and my body was giving me strange signals that I'd never experienced before. Like I'd never really experienced anxiety. It's like I'd been stressed, but not like that, just like gripping anxiety that you can't shake off. Um, I remember running out of breath, like going up one flight of stairs or um, in, in the religious community, we pray liturgy the hours or bravery. So you pray the Psalms together. 
and you know you recite the various psalms like you know a line is like seven words and I would run out of breath before I could get through those seven words I'm like what is going on and um, there was a lot um, going on there as well as with my physical health um, which obviously was adding to that internal stimulus of just everything happening and I remember telling my formator like I am dying I told her in Italian sto morendo and she's like oh okay thanks for telling me but like I I didn't have the words for this. I, I couldn't say like, excuse me, I have a finely tuned nervous system and it's really making life here difficult because there is constant stimulus. I don't have a bedroom to myself. The superior has a few crazy things going on so I can't even be by myself in the chapel. You know, like I, I didn't have that vocabulary. But equipping yourself with this knowledge and vocabulary can help you, I hope, as it helped me, make space for my own needs and know it's not because... I necessarily have something wrong with me. It's just the way that I've been built. You can avoid a lot of stress and distress for both an infant as well as for your body if you respond at the earlier cries for help. You know, at those earlier signals like, okay, I'm starting to get a little overwhelmed here, to take a step back, figure out what you need. Do I need to go home right now? Do I need to just go take a breather outside or in the bathroom? What is it that I need right now? Should I press pause and like say, hey, can we continue this conversation tomorrow? I'm really just waning. You know, or when do you need to stretch yourself a little bit? Oftentimes, I find for a lot of us HSPs, it's that we need to do a lot more um, withdrawing because we also tend to care a lot about the world and so put ourselves out there. Um, but it can be either one, you know, do I need to push myself more outward or draw myself more inward? I mentioned before coming up with your reset list. Like, what is it that helps reset your nervous system and helps soothe it and tell it that it's safe and that you can just be present and come back down to earth after all the crazy buzzy energy makes you feel off kilter? This kind of self-care is a medical necessity. And I don't say that lightly, you know, my life fell apart because I didn't know how to do this. When we ignore the signals our, our nervous system is giving us, we get irritable, burnt out, resentful, collapse. Um, it's, it can be really drastic and I'm sure there are plenty of you who have experienced that when, when we push ourselves too far. So I'm going to list a handful of um, some strategies, some you probably already do. Um, and I'd like you to spend some time, for those of you who um, do identify with being a highly sensitive person um, and taking things in very deeply, uh, to come up with your own list. And even if you don't think you're an HSP or you don't identify with this, I'd also invite you to come up with your reset list because, like I said, we all have an optimal stim point and we all have a you know, point of no return where it's like, okay, I just need to find a way to bring myself back down into my parasympathetic nervous system. How do I, how do I be present? And sometimes this is a precursor to even being present to not only ourselves and to others, but to God. So here are a few things. Um, feel free to come up with your own um, and then the trick will be actually making time for these and 
remembering that they are a priority, that these are things that are a medical necessity for you to have balance. So some of the possibilities are nature, getting yourself out. I literally will go out and hug a tree or lie in the grass or like stick my face in the grass and just breathe in because there is a lot of interesting neuroscience about the impact of nature on our physiology. Um, there's a book called The Nature Fix, which I highly recommend. It talks all about that um, science behind that. The smells, the sights, the different parts of nature that really affect our nervous systems and our whole bodies and how we're able to just So get your hands in the dirt, stick your face in the grass. I mean, I honestly will do that sometimes in between sessions when I'm talking with people because I, I so love being deeply present to people, but it can also be very stimulating, you know? So I just need to, I, I always schedule at least a half hour between my sessions because otherwise I, I can't, I just get burnt out um, and I can't be deeply present to you. And that's, again, that's the part that um, makes it really powerful. And so... Oh, the other day I went out and uh, put my blade in the grass and kind of breathed in deep like all the smells of the fresh green grass and I came back inside and uh, Brandon was like you got you got a piece of grass on your forehead there you might want to get that off before your next zoom call <laughs> thank you so nature animals are very um, helpful and oftentimes help reset our own nervous system um, petting your dog, snuggling with your kitty, um, just letting your their affection bring you back into your body, um, being present with another safe human person, somebody who can just be present with you and breathe with you. Sometimes letting your breath get in sync can be deeply, deeply grounding. Physical touch can be very helpful for some of us and for others not. Sometimes that's too stimulating. You know, if you, um, sometimes I find like just a hand on my back um, or a hug can be very, like help my whole body and nervous system just soothe and ground again. Um, Closing your eyes is a good way. That's a way that we can turn internally and just block out some of the world. 80% um, of the stimulus coming in through your senses come in through your eyes. So just closing your eyes. Um, I still basically every day take a, a nap or a rest. And rarely do I like fall asleep, fall asleep. But it's really like it's somewhere between meditation, breathing, and just closing my eyes and being able to Um, in different situations, it's also helpful to have an escape route. So if you're going, um, I do this all the time when I'm getting together with family, I make sure that I have my own car, my own place to stay, you know, so that if I'm getting too overwhelmed, I can just say like, Hey guys, I'm just going to go, um, lay down or relax or whatever it is. Um, so that I have another <laughs> way out and I don't feel trapped. Um, another uh, strategy or thing that could go on your reset list is adjusting your posture. Again, your mind follows your body. So 
while we're sleeping or even standing, sitting during the day, we tend to curl inwards, you know, our shoulders and our frame because essentially we're trying to protect ourselves and defend ourselves from extra stimulus and things coming in from the outside. So by dropping your shoulders, you know, down from your ears, <laughs> dropping your shoulders, kind of letting your body melt a little bit, um, relaxing your arms and your legs and your jaw and your shoulders tells your body to tell your mind that I am relaxed, I am safe. Sometimes you have to do that multiple times because your body won't get there on its own, which is when I often find, you know, snuggling with my kitty or just getting an, like a very light, tender hug can help my body like, or being out in nature, those things will help. Um, another thing, this is something that I picked up from that book, The Nature Fix. Um, water is one of the top three aspects of nature that soothes our autonomic nervous system, you know, when we're getting all um, kind of in a tizzy. So um, listening to the sound of water, being near a stream, a lake, I mean, the ocean if you're lucky, um, a water feature, fountain, um, even just getting in the bath. Those things are bodies, which, you know, make sense both from an evolutionary standpoint as well. I mean, we're made of water. There's There's gotta be something to that, you know, about why we find that so soothing. Um, I suppose civilization always had to be close to water in order to survive. So makes sense that that would be something that we find um, grounding. Another thing that helps soothe our autonomic nervous system is um, establishing a ritual. Um, routines and rhythm help get us back into that rest and digest. Um, it's very predictable and feels very soothing to our bodies. So whether it's having a bedtime routine where, you know, I'm gonna read for a little while, brush my teeth, wash my face, you know, have my little ritual or in the morning, you know, you probably already do have some level of ritual. Um, you know, whether it's waking up and immediately popping out of bed or maybe you just lie there for five minutes or 20. Um, Make your coffee, pour yourself a cup, breathe in deep and sip it while you stare out the window. Those kinds of routines help us um, feel calm, be at rest. There's a lot of comfort in those things, even on a very somatic, on a bodily level. Um, there are so many others that I would love to share with you. Um, I'll probably, what I'll do is I'll put a lot of these in a document and we can talk through them either one-on-one -on -one or any other time. Um, I'll put them in a little PDF. Um, there are so many things around having good boundaries, which is something that helps us all maintain our um, sense of self-care, um, not over-scheduling ourselves, you know, giving yourself space to just daydream and ponder and explore a little bit, even if it is only within your mind. Um, being gentle with yourself, learning how to tune things out, um, meeting other people who are equally sensitive and gifted so you don't feel so alone. Um, there's a lot of strategies that we can use to take care of ourselves and the bodies that we've been given.
What's on your reset list? I want to close with a reminder that the call for each of us is not to perfection, even with this, with your reset list and learning all about your body. Um, the call's not to perfection, but to wholeness. And the most spiritual thing you can do is to humbly dwell in your imperfection versus doing that dance, <laughs> that dance, that perfection dance that we do between pride and despair that's really the only two places that we get when we're trying to achieve perfection. Either you think that you're doing it right and then we feel proud, like, look how amazing I am being a good contemplative. No big deal. Or we feel despair because like, oh my gosh, I can't get myself to do my 20 minute sit or I can't like, you know, get myself to hold my boundaries or like whatever it is. Um, and all humility is, is truth being able to see and recognize what is present in myself and in reality. Part of that is the truth of our own bodies. How am I made? Am I able to accept that and receive that? How do I embrace the gift of the body that I've been given? Where are you looking for God? if not incarnate in your own life. Thank you for joining me.